it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 We're watching a lot of intriguing things happening right now. Uh, we're watching uh, the president of Brazil go to visit uh, the pre- uh, Vladimir Putin. What's he doing over there? Uh, uh, Chancellor of Germany was visiting Vladimir Putin yesterday. Okay, that's kind of interesting because um, you are the, uh, the squeaky wheel in the NATO process. And we're, we're still following a, a series of events, following the, uh, the German investigation uh, as well as uh, other things that are going to go, go and go, going to be going on today. Uh, did you see, and I don't have this in my big three, did you see with how the school board over in San Francisco, they actually voted out three school board members because they were too woke, essentially. They're too trying to be politically correct. Even for San Francisco, could this be the beginning of the end of these ridiculous policies that are flat-out anti-American and impossible Uh, impossible to live with. And we even Democrats are finding that out. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. This new wrinkle, it really is just a wrinkle and it's very vague. It does not show the actual spying that, uh, that, that Trump and others are saying it does. If what they did had been illegal, we would have had a charge. (laughs) Uh, that obviously people are all over the place. They don't understand the investigation's not done. But we'll just say uh, Joe Scarborough is just too political to think clearly. Durham begins to deliver on the report uh, a couple of years since Mueller found no conspiracy between Trump and Russia. Now we're finding out who manufactured the conspiracy. We'll tell you what we know. And so unsurprisingly, the Democrats, as you just heard, ignore or mock. Number two. We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. The insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. Uh, That is one of the Canadian officials. Freedom caravan under siege in Canada and maybe taking shape in America as more and more states are set to unmask and being tired told to vaccinate. Now let's tackle our problems because they could be starting here. We'll bring you the latest. Number one. Yesterday, the Russian government publicly proposed to continue the diplomacy. I agree. We should give the diplomacy every chance to succeed. We will not sacrifice basic principles, though. Yeah, which means uh, you tell us who goes in NATO and who doesn't. Russia, Ukraine, today was projected as invasion day. Putin is making moves like an attack is about to happen in some st- in some cases. Cyber attacks on Ukraine, falsely claiming Ukrainians are committing genocide on occupied Donbass region. Those are two predicates for an attack. Though, of course, they're totally phony. The question is, are we ready for everything or anything? 
So let's begin with this. I know you're tired of the story, but it is coming to a head to a degree. You know, since April, the Russians have been building up forces on the Ukrainian border. We know that the Ukrainians haven't done anything except for the continued to stiff arm Russian overtures. They don't want to be close to them. And it was once 50-50, but now it's 80-20. People do not want to be part of Russia. They hate to be in the Soviet Union. They want their freedom. They want to elect their leaders. They don't like the old situation. Vladimir Putin then takes Crimea and takes the Donbass region for the most part as these so-called separatist rebels fight. And they've lost many people over there, many uh, Ukrainians. So right now we're in a standoff. President Biden yesterday, evidently they put this on his schedule, which was very busy for a change. And they said, no, you got to make a speech. And here he is. Cut one. We are not seeking direct confrontation with Russia, though I've been clear that if Russia targets Americans in Ukraine, we will respond forcefully. And if Russia attacks the United States or our allies through asymmetric means, like disruptive cyber attacks against our companies or critical infrastructure, we are prepared to respond. It's as almost as if he wanted to get on the record. And I'm not putting him down. I'm not building him up. I'm just saying it's as almost as if you want to get on the record. So what they know, they said there was going to be attack on the 16th. We were freely saying that from the State Department. And the president's saying that, too. I expect an attack. I expect an attack. I expect an attack. Well, they always said that cyber could be first. It could be a hybrid battle. It could be not as confrontational as you think. Might it might not be taking the capital, but it might do things to, to, to rock Ukraine at its core. So here's the reason why it could be happening. There was a huge cyber attack targeting the Ministry of Defense and several banks and suspected Russian hybrid war hours after Vladimir Putin announced withdrawal of some of the forces. This withdrawal, according to the president, we can't confirm, but according to Jennifer Griffin, we can. So why do I think it's going to happen? Those things look like it will happen, right? So then they sent the secretary, secretary of defense, their counterpart, to Syria. To thank their troops for doing such a great job. That's not something that happens if an evasion is going to happen. Okay, so it looks like it's not going to happen. And then Vladimir Putin comes out and says, there's genocide going on in the Donbass region. Really? Okay, so it is going to happen. So there's some obviously some mixed signals. I am rooting no invasion. I don't care about politics. I don't want an invasion. I don't want thousands of people to die. I don't want us to look weak, ever. I don't care who the president is. It doesn't help us. We're not going to get through three years. If we are steamrolled in Afghanistan, if we watch Taiwan being taken over like Hong Kong, and we do nothing as the Soviet Union gets reconstituted, uh, even though Joe Biden and Democrats get routed, I'm not happy with what's left of the world. So here's Bill Browder. Remember Bill Browder, whose attorney was killed? His name was Magnitsky. So they wanted to get Bill Browder, uh, did Vladimir Putin. They killed his attorney because he was suing. He's a big businessman, had businesses in Russia when they had a degree of capitalism in that country under Boris Yeltsin. Gradually, Vladimir Putin took over all those industries, and they, unless they were sycophants of his. So they killed his attorney. And through the McGinsky Act, now they can sanction individuals in the Russian government. Bill Browder is the reason that happened. He's relentless. He knows Vladimir Putin. And that's the key to this. Don't tell me about history. When it comes to Russia, it's all about Vladimir Putin. Cut five. Vladimir Putin is a human rights violator and a kleptocrat and a very rich man. He invaded Georgia. He took Crimea. He bombed uh, civilians in hospitals in Syria. He cheated in the Olympics. From his standpoint, he's gotten away with everything. And um, unless we can actually prove to him that we're serious, he'll think he can get away with it again. I don't know what he's listening to, but they keep on taking meetings today. The Brazilian leader, so we'll see. Uh, We know this. 
it looks to go, according to political, Politico, it doesn't look like we're all on board with strict sanctions. You know, the SWIFT money system, no one's on board for that. That would destabilize their entire economy. And a lot of uh, the uh, European Union, they have 27 members. If one votes against it, they can't do anything. And they're worried about Hungary, whose leader is tight with Vladimir Putin, not going for this. So that's an issue. Obviously, Poland is there. When it comes to NATO, they're worried about Germany. That's an issue. So here's one report. They said we've learned a lot since 2015. We know we're rushed because 2014 is when the, they lost the Crimea. They sanctioned uh, Russia. They know what they got attention, what got Russia's attention and what didn't. Quote, here's from an expert. We know that Russia's pressure points are. We know where we produce or supply something that Russia needs and can't get from anywhere else. So that's why – Instead of taking a gradualist approach, we're prepared to start with sanctions in the top of our escalation ladder and stay there. But we also learned from Politico uh, that since 2014 that the European Union is not all on board. Uh, there's a lot of pushback on what exactly these sanctions look like with their senses from the U.S. The swift money system is not on board, sadly. However, they're trying to get Vladimir Putin's uh, e- extremely – extremely good confidants and friends, and they want to sanction them and prevent them, take their visas and prevent them from traveling. They want Vladimir Putin's friends to pay the price for the bloodshed that certainly will happen in the Ukraine. So will we do that in a way in which is really going to get his attention? Will we tell him flat out, you see these 10 people, do you know him? He's going to answer, yes, they're all going to be sanctioned, have their visas. No one's going to allow them to travel. Let them go to China, and that's about it. Let them uh, have their businesses frozen. How do you feel about that? So that's one thing that could get his attention, but I'm not sure. Maybe the big picture, taking the Ukraine, will give him all the natural resources and the water access and the ports he needs to sense that he's got the power to compete with us again. So I'll come back and take your calls on that. I want to talk about Durham. I also want to talk about why Canada matters. Today, we understand real quick that uh, Justin Trudeau has has emergency members, measures that will allow him to go in and pull the insurance, pull the registration, uh, from any truck driver with the rig in Ottawa ringing the Capitol. And if they do that, you'll never be able to drive. And if a tow truck operator turns down a order to tow a 18-wheeler or anything, they will go to jail. So can these truck drivers afford that to lose their livelihoods? one 408 There's a lot of people outside and inside that country who are horrified what Trudeau's doing. I never liked the guy. I, I hope that he, he I hope he loses his office uh, right away. I hope he pays a big political price for this. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Watching everything. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
a talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We're entering the third week of illegal blockades that have been disrupting the lives of too many Canadians. Here in our capital city, families and small businesses have been enduring illegal obstruction of their neighbourhoods. Occupying streets, harassing people, breaking the law. This is not a peaceful protest. At the borders in different parts of the country, the blockades are harming our economy and endangering public safety. Critical supply chains have been disrupted. This is hurting workers who rely on these jobs to feed their families. Okay, a couple of things. Since when do you care about feeding their families? You locked down a whole entire country for two and a half years. Necessary and unnecessary, you had no problem doing it. You continue to tell people you're fired unless you're vaccinated. And don't bother driving a truck unless you double vax. So don't worry suddenly about everybody's job. I'm not, that not only goes for Justin Trudeau, it's everyone. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. We're talking about the Freedom Convoy up in Canada. I'm not going to pretend I know how the Canadian system works. But let me just say I am extremely glad that one president or prime minister could not shut down our country through federal emergency. He is now going to have the rights to destroy these lives, these 18-wheelers. There's as many as 4,000 there at its peak. I don't know how many can give up their livelihoods. For the most part, when you're blue-collar, uh, I, I found out my experience, a lot of times you pay pay, paycheck to paycheck or you just know you can't miss one for your spending plan. So I don't know if these truckers can withstand it in the big picture. But to to say I'm going to jail tow truck operators for not responding, that's how extreme and out of touch this guy is. He wouldn't even meet with them. Benjamin Dichter, he's a Freedom Convoy 2022 spokesperson. He talks about what's really happening in Ottawa. Cut Cut 17. When I say peacefully protesting, I would call it more of a demonstration because what are we, what are we guilty of? Some trucks parked illegally? Okay, I'm not sure that that warrants the response from the government. But one of the things that they did include in this emergency act is it forces tow truck companies under duress to come in and tow the trucks. And if they refuse to tow the trucks, then the government can say, fine, we're canceling your business license and fining you $100,000 or some obscene number like that. So that's what they're up against. I mean, they could be have all the conviction in the world, but what are they going to do? What's pointed out to me today uh, on Fox and Friends is, yeah, but they're going to lose their job anyway because they don't want to get vaccinated. That's true. But at least they have their license. They don't have their bank account. Can you imagine a president taking your money out of your bank or freezing it, calling up your bank and saying, hey, Brian, kill me. We need his bank number. Yeah, you, you have his account, right? Freeze it. And when they say no, then they get arrested. I mean, this is Canada. This isn't China. It's crazy. Now, I know what it's like. If you're in Ottawa and you're one of the thousands of people who want to get to work or school, yeah, but everybody's been inconvenienced for the last two years. They're not standing up for more money. They're standing up for your freedom. They're standing up for masks and vaccines, your decision. But a lot of people uh, don't see it that way. A lot of people on the other channels can't believe it. This is, they said this is Fox's hippie moment. What are you talking about? Because I'm starting with truck drivers, full-time drivers, who is sustaining populations around the world through the pandemic without a vaccine and without therapeutics? Here's Jason Whitlock. He said this to Tucker last night, Cut 22. What's going on in Canada with the truckers is bad. But we have the same style things going on here in America. The opposition to the left and their secularization of American society, the demonizing of freedom. 
That, that was one in your mono. When you start talking about they've demonized freedom. America has been built upon freedom, opportunity and self-determination. That's what made us the envy of the world. They're demonizing all of that. And now the goal in America is equity, inclusion and diversity. Those things are controlled by elites and governments. Freedom, opportunity, and self-determination, that's on you and me as individuals to go get that. And that's why people beat down doors to get in this country. That is uh, Jason Whitlock. I think he's right. I mean, he's known for sports, but he's a deep thinker, African-American columnist. And I also think that he is uh, not an anomaly in thinking like that because I didn't hear Democrat or Republican. I didn't hear uh, build up defense, let's cut spending. I didn't hear about build back better. I just talk about freedom. Freedom to decide if your kid gets a mask. When I was shocked at seeing this, they did a poll. 66% of parents do not want, Democratic parents, do not want their kids having a choice. They want everybody masked in school, 66%. For Republicans, 20%. Do they like their kids less? I doubt it. Independence, 42%. Why do you think we don't see Joe Biden saying, get vaccinated, get vaccinated? Come on, folks, get vaccinated. Because he realizes you've been so oppressive, so single-minded. You're telling people to get vaccinated, a variant where the vaccine isn't effective. It lessens your symptoms, allegedly. But you can spread it just as easy, vaccinated as unvaccinated. They suddenly got to him for that, but he's still out of touch on what's happening. I want to bring you to this story real quick. Jennifer Tsai was a Levi's brand manager en route to being CEO of this huge American company. So she tweeted out and made it be clear that she wants her kids back in school. She wants their masks off. They told her, walk that back. She appeared with Laura Ingram last year. And after that, they said, you basically better apologize. You'll lose your job. Then they tried to give her a million-dollar severance package to keep her mouth shut. She said, no, no, and I quit. Cut 20, Cut 24. But I had persisted for two years in continuing to speak out on this subject because I care about kids. Um, And then to agree to stay silent at the last minute because of money just felt so unacceptable and just gross to me and in violation of everything I said I stood for. And she's out. But if you ask me, I, I think she's a Democrat, by the way, just by listening to her talk. I think she's just stunned. That through cancer culture, she gets fired because people, uh, their investors were upset. So she wants to come out and speak about getting the masks off and, and making people have their own decisions when it comes to vaccinated uh, and getting kids back in school. And they let her go. Meanwhile, Levi's comes out and immediately condemns an election law they know nothing about, in my opinion, in Georgia and Texas as a company. What about Levi's? You live out in the West, you're right, you're, you're wrestling cattle, you're, you're scaling mountains tough and rugged, but if you want your kid to go without a mask and you tell people about it, then you're fired. She moved out of California to Colorado to have that choice. When we come back, what this means for politics as we segue into possible war and more. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is willful or either incredibly stupid or willful misconstruing of what all this is about. Hey, can I just say Did, willfully stupid? A lot of both. people being willfully both. stupid. Willfully, or, or, just, or just willfully misconstruing. You see on Fox News, you have Fox, or Tucker Carlson and other people saying, you know, they're looking at, they must be looking, they're intercepting internet traffic. They must be looking at email or text messages. Not possible. DNS, no. D, these no. DNS, this is That's just a lie now. Who could be that stupid? I ask you, who could be that stupid? 
to actually say that on their television. You don't show. really want me to make a list, do you? No, uh, but also, no a, like lot most of most a lot of people most did. A lot of people did. The Fox or else they Fox know. They know that they're lying so most, to their audience, the, that they're liars, and they're deliberately lying about this. Yes, lying liars who lie. Okay, a couple of things. Can you imagine being on that idiot show, him talking over you? John Heilman is in the middle of talking about five times, and he just steamrolls him. He's his guest. Can you let him finish? I can see once in a while interrupting, but you just steamrolled him just to say some rhetoric because you lost your temper. But it's amazing how you look at the storm report, the revelations that are in there, the interesting things that move this story forward, and you say willful lying. Let's go out to Rich Lowry, National Review editor. Hey, Rich, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Rich, first off, I just wanted to bring, just to show you, I know you probably watch uh, mostly Fox, and I just want to give you an idea of what's happening on other channels. So just Joe Scarborough <laughs> is saying just screaming, they're lying or they're willfully lying. That's our only choice. Is that really our only choice in looking at what Durham has filed? Yeah, you know, there's been pushback the last couple of days. There's Joe on Morning Joe. There's this big New York Times piece by this guy, Charlie Savage. And I just don't find it very convincing. Charlie Savage tries to, to say that in the filing, Durham does not say that this sleuthing, the spying um, – Continued when Trump was was in office, but Durham says that it continued into 2017, and that when this Democratic lawyer Sussman goes to the CIA with this information, they took out all the Obama information. Savage also says, "Oh, look, this is all past information," and it is true that Durham says it went from 2014 to 2017. But then he says in this meeting, all, all the exculpatory information having to do with Obama, presumably, was taken out. So the clear implication is that it was still going on when Trump was president, which is shocking. And Durham makes it clear that this tech executive was telling people he's trying to please uh, people in uh, the Clinton campaign. He, he was setting out to create this narrative about Trump being tied in with Russia. So Charlie Savage also says, oh, they're, they're just trying to make sure that Russia hadn't compromised any of these systems you know, at Trump Tower or Trump's apartment building. And that doesn't make sense either. So I, I just think there's this, this vast denial where these people can't admit it, that, that they promoted a hoax, either because they were credulous or malicious for two solid years that had absolutely nothing to it, that any rational person would have realized had nothing to it, and they just won't go back and say that they're wrong and, and apologize. You know, I get things wrong sometimes. You know, the things you've been right about during the pandemic, Brian, I've been wrong about it. I'm happy to say it, but these people will never, ever say they're wrong. Well, very interesting. I mean, the next revelation could be it, but let's talk about what is wrong. We don't know if there's a direct tie Hillary Clinton. Logic leads you there, perhaps. Michael Sussman, working for Perkins Coie, who was employed uh, by the DNC, which was the Clinton camp because the DNC was out of money, so they financed the whole thing. So the DNC, mm-hmm. much to the consternation of Bernie Sanders, was working for Hillary Clinton. You know, the Wasserman Schultz at the time. She ran that whole operation into the ground. Now, this did launch in, in July, and it seems like Jake Sullivan – not only wrote the novel, he pretended like he didn't and went out and talked about it on the air as if he was disturbed by the results. And yeah. the same thing with the others. Yeah. So they started pushing this forward. We know the Steele dossier was commissioned by a, a group affiliated with Hillary Clinton. They went out to find out about Trump's link to Russia. We know that a Clinton from Bill Clinton's administration was the source of the information that went to Dushenko, who's been indicted, 
who gave the, the information to Christopher Steele, who's been defamed, and he never went to Russia himself, and they put this stuff out, and that helped, despite their denials, propel the whole Mueller investigation. So that's one element. And now we're finding out about what was, what was talked about with these ties. Well, what was with this Alpha Bank? Who was looking into that? Since when were they looking at that? Who, who allowed that to happen? And yep. that's what brought I, I mean, us here. This obviously, when Republicans take the House in the fall, should be a major focus of investigation, uh, trying to uh, unspool this as much as possible. Durham, you know, I think he's doing good work, but it, it's going to—it's taking a while. Eventually, I think there'll be a big report uh, appropriately, but who knows when we're going to get that. But Republicans should dig into this, and I think the other—the other big thing that should be a, a subject of investigation is the CDC guidance on school masking. How was that created? How, how is that so out of whack, um, not supported by the science, and different from other health agencies around the world? So these are two things I think Republicans should really dig into. Right. Uh, to the degree in which people can follow it. Uh, somebody that unwound this whole thing early was Devin Nunes. This is now that he's left Congress. And you remember he came out there and said they spotted mm-hmm. the campaign. Everyone said, this guy's nuts. And they actually sanctioned him. Uh, and they made uh, another Republican take over. And Adam Schiff said out there all concerned right. for getting to blink for at least a year. Cut 30. Anyone able to get into the White House, no matter who the president is, is something that is unprecedented. Uh, Those should be the most guarded communications in this country. So this is going to take, hopefully Durham gets more and more information out. Uh, Hopefully he can bring more indictments. And then, look, Sean, it's going to take, my old buddies in the Congress are going to have to spend years looking into this and just how did this happen? How can contractors have communications of Americans all over the country. It's frightening. And it's talking about Rodney Jaffe, who had a contact with the government, a cyber contact with the government, who ended up using that to collect, allegedly, according to this indictment, to collect information on Trump's link to Russia, which did not exist. Yes, he had an interest in building a hotel in Russia or a golf course, like he has in Ireland, like he has in Scotland, like he has in Washington, like he had in Saudi Arabia. And I think it's the UAE or Oman where he's got... That's what he does. Mm -hmm. So if I was doing it... Definitely look. I'm being you should look into me. But if Donald Trump is doing it, that's not a surprise. So, it, would be, it would be highly suspicious if you open a big resort. So, so, and another right. And I expect uh, Rich Lowry, the National Review, to, to investigate. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. But yeah, but look, he, he was using, according to Durham, this guy Jaffe was using a government contract, you know, to handle data from the executive office of the president to try to, to find information to use against the president of the United States. It's outrageous. It's just on the face of it. It's completely outrageous. And then you had an FBI investigation running on trying to undermine the president, you know, conducted by people who are supposed to be reporting to the president. So the whole thing was a, a major distortion of our system. You know, they're not uh, – Devin was on um, uh, on with, with uh, Bill, Bill Hammer just a, a couple of minutes ago, and he, he was pointing out that you're probably not going to be able to charge many more crimes over this because a lot of it isn't, frankly, illegal. It's just wrong and shouldn't have happened. So what you want is transparency and to get all the facts out, and it would be good if the other side w- was willing to say this shouldn't happen and this was wrong, but of course they're not. Listen, I would tell you, if I thought that Trump was using his office to spy on Hillary Clinton, remember the Joe Biden situation 
when they send Rudy to walk around Ukraine saying, what, the, what are the links, what are the links? That was the dumbest thing I ever heard. I don't think it was impeachable, but they thought there were links there that was preventing them from doing a deal. Whatever it was, you're going doing this on the perception on the perception that you're going after a political opponent, even though he hadn't even declared at that point yet. So I thought that was wrong. Not impeachable, but that was wrong. If I yeah. felt like Trump was doing that, trying to spy on Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton in retrospect or Obama as a civilian because he thought he was working behind, that would be unbelievably wrong and and uh, and really and really diabolical. I want to bring you to the Canadian story. First off, Rich Lowry, do you believe the Canadian story is just a Canadian story? No, I mean, clearly it's not. I mean, it, it's gotten a huge amount of attention now, and then you have all, all sort of uh, copycat protests around the world. So it's a worldwide event. Their police chief, the Ottawa police chief, has resigned for not shutting down the trucker protest. However, what I think happens, cops look at truck drivers and look at one of them. Mm-hmm. They know they're not evil. They know they're not looking to rob anything. They understand the double vax thing that they do not want to have to do, and they got a strong reason not to. So that's why they said, are you guys just going to park here? And at night, are you just going to play games and dance? All right, I'm going to let that happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and apparently tow truck companies have also been really reluctant to lend out their tow trucks to the, the cops for this for this purpose. Look, I think it was good that the bridge was uh, cleared there, the Ambassador Bridge. It was disrupting commerce. It was hurting American workers. And if I lived in Ottawa, I'd want this protest to be cleared, even if I sympathize with the truckers, which I do. But, you know, there are ways to do it, and you don't want a, a, a terrible – you know, bloody confrontation. And what Trudeau should do is stop calling them names, one. Uh, I mean, he's just showing this this incredible, arrogant, high-handed contempt for his own people. Meet with representatives, two. And three, just give in on the idiotic trucker mandate. It's absurd. I mean, this, the idea that uh, there's going to be some surge in Canada if 10% of unvaccinated truckers come back uh, and forth across the border without quarantining is obviously ridiculous. And th- this happened all during the pandemic. They were allowed to do it. And now the pandemic is, is waning and please God, you know, going completely away. Now you're going to do this to these truckers. It's crazy. And he should just give in on it. And they went back and forth actually about whether they're going to implement this beforehand. So it's not as though this is anyone thinks this is a, a real foundational public health measure. So, you know, be conciliatory, give way, and then and then try to find a way for, you know, the, these guys to go, go someplace else and not disrupt the downtown. But, of course, Trudeau, that's not what he's interested in. But to see Republicans support the convoy, it again backs up that sense that things have switched, Rich. They, mm-hmm. they are more of a blue-collar party now. Totally, yeah. And so this has been a long-term trend. Donald Trump underlined it and accelerated it. But, uh, you know, these upper middle class progressive white uh, liberals like Justin Trudeau is a perfect representative look down their noses at at these people. They no longer have any sympathy for them. They can't imagine, you know, their worries over their livelihoods and they, they just want to smash them. And, you know, there, there might be some terrible confrontation uh, up there driven by that attitude, driven by that lack of sympathy for working people. I think three school board members were taken off the San Francisco school board for their woke, uh, their wokeness, for lack of a better term. I'm not sure if that's a, even a derivative of woke. But because they did things well, the kids were out of school above tra- trying to take Lincoln's name and Roosevelt's name off of school. Uh, in San Francisco, and because of their policies on critical race theory, 
London Breed supported a recall movement, and all three lost their job. Do you believe this is a turning point for Democrats? You factor that along with Sunday's Speaker of the House coming out and saying, Corey Bush, bless her heart, but that is not where the Democratic Party is going to defund the police. Are they trying to redefine themselves in a last desperate measure? They should. This is stunning. And, and, and this is just a sign. This parents revolt. And this isn't news to us, Brian, but it's news to Democrats. It's real. It's powerful. It's all over the country. And it's a five alarm fire for Democrats unless they recalibrate. And, and you know, they may try to recalibrate, but there's no way they're going to be able to do it even if they try in time. So this is another indication that there, there's a tsunami coming in November. And it's a whole mix of things. Same thing that drove Yunkin in Virginia. Uh, um, discontent with the school closures, discontent with the focus on idiocy, like renaming schools named after our greatest heroes, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, and discontent with the watering down of academic standards on woke grounds. You put that all together, and even progressive parents in San Francisco are fed up and can't take it. So if, if Democrats don't take note of that, they're, they're, uh, I don't know how to help them. I just want to let you hear something you probably didn't hear yourself, nor did I, because I was busy. On MSNBC, Donnie Deutsch, uh, a liberal uh, a liberal commentator, cut 40. This is a factual political discussion that if you give the Republicans the ability to point the Democrats as this super woke culture focused on the wrong things that don't matter to voters, that don't matter to them putting food on the table, that don't matter to their kids going to school, that don't matter to their higher wages, you're going to lose. And it's that simple. So you need to step away from super wokeness. That would be great for the country, but I don't think they'll do it. You saw AOC over the weekend. You saw them uh, trying to primary Henry Cuellar in Texas and uh, doing uh, giving um, uh, giving Connor Lamb a hard time as a moderate in a purple state in Pennsylvania, running uh, running candidates to his left and winning. I don't think they get the memo. Final thought. Yeah, so Nancy Pelosi's right. You know, every time Cory Bush says defund the police, it tars the entire party. But Donnie Deutsch is actually, you know, I get where he's coming from, but he's wrong. People actually really do care about these issues. They care about the kitchen table issues, yes, but they also care about this woke idiocy, which makes this parent movement so powerful. Very well said. Uh, He is Rich Lowry. Pick up the National Review. Thanks so much, Rich. Hey, thanks, Brian. Have a great rest of the week. You got it. Uh, I have calls next, one 408 7669 Don't forget about the Saturday show, uh, 8 o'clock. It's One Nation. Uh, I'll give you a preview next. Actually, one of the interviews is going to be I went to Tony Robbins' house over the weekend. You'll see that feature, talk about his brand-new book. It's number one in the country. And I'll talk about how he became who he is. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The NFL has always tried to sanitize blackness, especially during the Super Bowl. From the halftime performances to players taking a knee, and it especially does not want to dabble in the culture wars right now and tick off its conservative fan base. Which explains why Kendrick Lamar's line, and we hate the popo, was noticeably scrubbed last night. Don't think we didn't notice. I fell out of love 
with the NFL. I fell out of love with the game because it, it just became very clear that this was a sport with a lot of black people in it, but not all black people with any power. No coaches, very few people allowed to get into that quarterback slot. And the coach thing really, it hurts my spirit, and it's very difficult for me to love the game. So I think anything that these guys do that's disruptive, I am for it. Okay, uh, she knows so little about football, it's scary. There are a lack of coaches in the NFL. That's an issue. Brian Flores is suing the league. Got it. They did the so-called Black National Anthem before the game. They have done so much stuff over the last two years uh, for Kaepernick and everybody else. It goes be- It's beyond comprehension. Uh, number three is, I don't know, I hate the police is not a great message. I don't know. Do you, are you for that message? Did you feel like the... Halftime show fell short because we didn't alienate 130,000 active officers and maybe 500,000 retired officers and about a million family members who liked the cops because they put that out. That was a turnoff. They let rap dominate halftime. Dominate. That was it. Right? Down my brand of music could appreciate the success. Uh, Dr. Dre and all those guys, a little out of my league. But after spending last week with Master P, who was also one of the originals, who came uh, ends up on the Forbes 400 list, who's diversified in a way that uh, most Americans could only imagine, but he overcame incredible circumstances. A lot of those uh, guys have done the same thing. I get it, and women. But to you critical the NFL. By the way, there's plenty of black quarterbacks. There was an issue of black quarterbacks in the 70s. It started getting ameliorated in the 80s. It hit its stride in the 90s. And in 2020, I would say that most of them are just off the top of my head. Amazing. Um, I'm sorry the league doesn't live up to your standards. I mean, it's incredible. I'm not saying the league's perfect, but on everything that she mentioned, outside coaches, she was wrong. That's why I don't watch it. I didn't realize there wasn't enough. I didn't, couldn't answer the question, why don't I listen to Joy Reid? Now I know. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Will Kane standing by. Arthur Brooks at the bottom of the hour. Harvard professor. Atlanta, he has a brand new book. It's about happiness in the second half of your life. It's called From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Your Life. Now, it doesn't seem like Will Kane's at the halfway point because word is he's got to live to 120. But I will talk to him about that mission and see how far along he is. We'll talk about that and take your calls at 1-866-408-7669. As we come to you from crime-ravaged New York, but heard around the country, heard around the world. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This new wrinkle, it really is just a wrinkle, and it's very vague. It does not show the actual spying that, uh, that, that Trump and others are saying it does. If what they did had been illegal, we would have had a charge. He's not done yet, Joe. Durham begins to deliver on his report in a couple of years since Mueller found no conspiracy between Trump and Russia. Now we're finding out who manufactured the conspiracy to start with. We'll tell you what we know and unsurprisingly, the Dems ignore or mock. Number two. We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. 
the insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. That's a high-ranking Canadian official, Crystal Freeland. Freedom Caravan under siege in Canada and maybe taking shape in America as more and more states are set to unmask. Now let's tackle the vax mandate. Number one. Yesterday, the Russian government publicly proposed to continue the diplomacy. I agree. We should give the diplomacy every chance to succeed. We will not sacrifice basic principles, though. Well, there you go. Russia-Ukraine today was projected as Invasion Day. Vladimir Putin is making moves like an attack is about to happen. Cyber attacks on Ukraine's defense. Falsely claiming Ukrainians are committing genocide. Unoccupied Donbass region. Seems to be setting up a big attack. But he's also doing some fainting. Saying that I'm pulling some people back at the same time. And then meeting with the Brazilian president today. I'm not sure Brazil is going to help us much, but I'm sure they'll have an interesting conversation through translators. I don't need a translator to talk to Will. He chose English as its language. Will, thanks for choosing English. Well, I've been, and this is no joke, I've been researching, is it Duolingo? Is it Rosetta Stone? I want to brush up on my Spanish, but I'm not quite ready to do this interview in that language. Right. So don't do that yet. Okay. If you don't mind. Uh, Although when it comes to your old gig, working, let's say, in a baseball locker room, if you knew Spanish, you'd be, it would really behoove you to do stories. Am I correct? One of my first stories when I was at ESPN, I did investigative or feature pieces out in the field. And I did a story on the Biloxi Shuckers AA minor league team. And I remember being in the locker room talking to guys who were grinding it out, but a few stars in the locker room and guys that are now in the majors with the Milwaukee Brewers. And, yeah, I remember a guy named Orlando Arcia, who's now the shortstop for the Brewers. He could speak not a lick of English, but I knew he's the guy I have to talk to because he's going to be the one making the show. It didn't work out. Wow, so it's such a great story. I did not know you had one. You're almost like Geraldo, where I could bring up anything with Geraldo, and he either made out with the person I talked to or, <laughs> w- or was in the band of the person I was with. Yeah, mine aren't as cool. Mine, mine right. take place in, like, uh, casinos in Biloxi, Mississippi, and his take place <laughs> in, like, you know, war zones. <laughs> yeah, war zones or Upper, uh, upper East Side. Right. So let's talk about Russia and Ukraine. I mean, this is the same story for three weeks, so I feel it's a little different. They told us, Will, that the 16th was the day. They keep telling us an attack's about to happen. I have never seen such a sustained, and it might work, I don't know, a sustained public push to talk about an imminent attack like the State Department is doing now when it comes to the Ukraine being attacked by Russia to the point where the president of Ukraine says, dial it back. You're panicking, people. It's not helping. Yeah, it's really odd, isn't it? The strategy seems to be to scare Russia off by playing Chicken Little, yelling the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And look, I don't have the intelligence or or the insight, Brian, to say they're wrong that the sky is falling. They're wrong that Russia is preparing to embark on this on this invasion. But, you know, I also think it's fascinating to step back and say, why is the United States almost alone, the one screaming from the rooftop? And why is it we should just accept it as absolute gospel? Now, here's the thing, Brian. I want to be really clear. I'm not being a conspiracy theorist or saying this is being done in order to shift the narrative to something that might might buoy the Biden administration's polls. But I do think that a responsible citizen and a responsible journalist should be looking at the context and going, huh, and asking questions. And look, here's – you know, I went to law school. One of the things that you do upon cross-examination, you can potentially do when someone is testifying is it's called impeach the witness. And you start wondering, is the witness a truth teller? Are they credible? Can we trust what they are saying? 
And in order to establish their credibility or to destroy their credibility, you look into their past behavior. And you can say, did you tell the truth on this? And you can establish whether or not that person is somebody the jury should be placing blind faith in. I do think that we should be thinking about context in impeaching the witness. The primary storyteller on Russia is who? It's Jake Sullivan, national security advisor. He's the one primarily screaming from the rooftops. And I don't think it's it's um, a huge distraction or worthless to say at the same time, the other big news story going on right now is the Durham investigation. And the Durham investigation is looking into and alleging very serious spying on the Trump campaign by Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton's campaign. And what name is starting to sit at the center of that bullseye? Who worked for the Hillary Clinton campaign on potentially, potentially planting evidence, not just spying, but planting evidence to create a narrative that Donald Trump and Russia were in collusion. What is the name? The name is Jake Sullivan. There are many who think that's where this investigation is going, right towards Jake Sullivan. And that's the very same voice telling us on a daily basis that Russia is preparing to invade and Russia is putting together a false flag operation. If this were a court of law, Brian, that would be called impeaching the witness. That would call into question everybody's faith in the truth being told. Right, and we'll add to that too. Jake Sullivan just told us uh, he he uh, wants to challenge the Army report, uh, the Abbey Gate report, and what went wrong leading up to the collapse of Kabul. So he does not believe that, and he is calling the Pentagon out. That he has to me no credibility because he was warned repeatedly, and we'll go over that. It's been six months to the day today since Afghanistan Kabul fell, Afghanistan fell, and the humiliation of America began uh, militarily. Anyway. Uh, Will Kane, before I get to your long drive back special on Fox Nation that looks at Tiger Woods and Ben Hogan, two of the greatest, if not the greatest ever, and their their devastating accidents and how they're battling back from it, the similarities and differences, I want to play you something that wasn't in my big three. Mayor Eric Adams uh, admirably went up to Albany, the capital of New York, and he told fellow Democrats, I got to get rid of no cash bail. It is causing the crime to rage in our streets. It's causing our cops to sit back and not arrest because they know these men and sometimes women are not going to stay in jail. So nobody's getting arrested. Crime is running rampant. The numbers are through the roof. And he failed. The Daily News writes it up that Eric Adams got humiliated or blasted. And that's his focus. Listen to what he said yesterday. Instead of using his popularity, which he has, a national name, which he's earning— and using his power with President Biden, instead of saying, I'm disappointed in my party, he says this, cut 42. I'm a black man, that's the mayor. But my story has been interpreted by people that don't look like me. We got to be honest about that. How many blacks are in the editorial boards? How many blacks are determined how these stories are being written? How many Asians... How many East Indians? How many South Asians? Everybody talks about my government being diversified. What's the diversification in the newsrooms? You're not writing stories for people who were arrested and beat by police officers. You're not writing stories from those who are dealing with high crime. Diversify your newsroom so I can look out and see people that look like me. Wow. You talk about a diversion. You're blaming the press because you didn't like one headline? He's six weeks in. This guy's in for a long four years. Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. One, isn't it – it's not just fascinating. It's actually terrifying. If we look across the way that government is treating media, and I'm not talking about in the way 
the President Trump did in this adversarial manner of alleging they are fake news, but rather in a manner of print what I tell you to print, do my dirty work, act as my propaganda arm. That's what Eric Adams is saying. You need to stop painting me in a negative light. You need to more proactively paint me in a positive light. It's the same thing you hear from the Biden administration when you hear them asking tech companies to crack down on, quote, misinformation. Report the way and shut down the reporting that I don't like. Report the way that I do like. And then yet I think in the same vein what we're seeing in Canada with Trudeau, and you played that sound a moment ago from Christia Freeland talking about seizing bank accounts, but the same way they're treating media coverage there. The, there's a real sense of entitlement, entitlement in Democratic politicians and the type of coverage they should receive from the media. As to the specific allegation of, of the race thing, um, one, Eric, you haven't caught up with the news cycle over the last five years. Every single newsroom is highly diversified. It seems to be the top of their priority list, not truth-telling, by the way. It's not to go out there and report the facts. It's to make sure that the people telling the truth or telling the stories are rather um, sufficiently diversified, not just to uh, satisfy corporate boardrooms, but to avoid, quote-unquote, cancellation. So, sorry, Eric. That's already been accomplished. But then finally, number two on that, Brian, it's a joke. I mean, no, I don't think anyone even takes that seriously anymore. The, the you're doing this because I'm black or you're doing this because I'm a minority thing. It's, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a cast-aspersion tactical game that I don't even think anybody buys anymore. It's been used. It's, it's a knife whose edge is dulled. You've I, already carved that hard, hard, hard a thousand times into the rock. I hear you. And and by the way, there's an editorial in the New York Times that talks about how the snow cash bail is bad for – uh, black Americans and New Yorkers. And I'll just bring, read you a, a brief quote. New York City has experienced an alarming rise in violence. All New Yorkers are uh, affected by rising crime, but the brunt of the increase is borne by black New Yorkers. Yeah. It's hard not to notice that these tragic trends have emerged alongside the introduction of policies that were supposed to help black New Yorkers, specifically reducing the impact of the criminal justice system. But the strategy is arming black New Yorkers by aiming for racial equity in the criminal justice is focused solely on deterring and responding to crime. Policymakers seem to have neglected the foundational purpose of law and order. We should have a system that arrests, convicts, and incarcerates individuals without regard of the color of their skin. That is the New York Times. So please, you had an opportunity. I have no idea why you decided to make a left turn. But I am excited about your Fox. By the way, you're going to Daytona this weekend for Fox and Friends uh, with um, with Pete Hegseth and Rachel Campos Duffy. And I approve this. I just signed off now. You have. It doesn't matter how much you spend. So feel free to go out as much oh, as that, you want oh, and spend whatever you need. I just okayed this. That's really exciting. I put a whole bunch of money into your account. You should check it. Uh, So that's going to be great. But also tell me about how Tiger Woods and Ben Hogan headlined your brand new Fox special. So there's a fascinating parallel. So we have become familiar with Tiger's roller coaster of ups and downs, Uh, self-inflicted wounds from his, his marital affairs to the pretty horrific car accident he had in Los Angeles in which he really, I mean, what was it, a compound fracture on yeah. his leg? Absolutely tore up his body. Almost lost it. Yeah, and now on the mend, attempting to come back. Many are wondering if it's going to be the Masters when he makes his, his, his new debut, when he comes back once again. And it's a long road back. That's the name of our special. Um, 
And it is interesting that Tiger's parallels mirror one of the other great all-time legends of golf, and that's Ben Hogan, who in his 30s also suffered a very horrific car accident. Hogan then embarked on a long journey back to not just relevance, but to the top of the game. And there's suggestions that Tiger has seen that path, seen that parallel, saw what Hogan was able to pull off, and has mirrored or been inspired by that comeback of, of Ben Hogan's. And so it's really uncanny the the way this this has uh, played out for Tiger and, and mirrors history. It would be a real accomplishment, Brian. I mean, that's that's an understatement to say it'd be a real a real accomplishment. You know, Tiger winning the Masters on this comeback from not just the marital affairs but multiple back injuries. You know, it didn't look like he was ever going to win another Master again. He wasn't or another major again. He wasn't um, playing at the top of his game. And he just didn't seem like the Tiger. He wasn't the Tiger, the dominant Tiger of old. But the one that won at the Masters and hugged his son, one of the most – by the way, I'm no huge Tiger fan like a lot of guys. I like Tiger. I mean, I think he's a fascinating story. But when he walked off the Masters and hugged his son, Charlie, uh, I think it's one of the most emotional moments I've ever experienced in sports. And to see them both together is pretty amazing. Uh, As he starts his own golfing career, the way their mannerisms are the same, it's, it's awesome. Here's Tiger. Here's a, a cut from your special, cut 45. I think that one of the greatest comebacks in, in all of sport is, is the gentleman who won here, Mr. Hogan. I mean, he got hit by a bus and came back and won major championships. The pain he had to endure, the things he had to do just to play, the wrapping of the leg, um, all the hot tubs, and just the, how hard it was for him to walk, walk, period. And he ended up walking 36 holes and winning the U.S. Open. And, and that's, just, that's one of the greatest comebacks there is, and it happens to be in our sport. And now he can maybe author one that's comparable. Uh, it's going to be great. So when do we get this? Uh, it's up. I believe it's up already. I think the Fox Nation special com- is is up and available. And, Brian, you and your audience are just going to have to forgive me for not knowing the exact date of when this this is uploaded at Fox Nation. But I do know that if you go to Fox Nation and you subscribe, that you can check out this, along with specials from your friend Brian, uh, Brian Kilmeade and, of course, our friend Pete Hegseth and multiple specials of Fox Nation, including this one on Ben Hogan and Tiger Woods. Uh, sounds great. Well, uh, have a great time this weekend. I know it's work, but still, you're going to make it look easy. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Go get him. Uh, Will, and by the way, how do we get your podcast? You go to Fox News Podcast or Apple Spotify, wherever you get your audio entertainment. Today, Michael Waltz on why is it? Just let's break it down like I'm a five-year-old. Why is it we should be worried about China? He is Will Kane. Not worried about him. Back in a moment. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I have my emergency bag uh, in my uh, flat, and I'm ready uh, to defend my country. And that is a little from the truckers in the Freedom Con... uh, Excuse me. Uh, You'll hear a little bit later from the truckers, but that was a Ukrainian woman who was saying, I'm ready to fight. But you know what? If you go and see our reporters in Kiev, they say it's as business as usual. The bank's... Uh, are not frozen. Uh, people are not taking their money out. They're not in bomb shelters. They're trying to live their lives. And I think that's a great tax. Shows how tough they are. Uh, let's go to Dennis to listen to WVMT. Dennis. Brian, you mentioned the anti-police sentiment inherent in the Super Bowl halftime show, and I couldn't agree with you more. And, and there was a glorification of gangster culture that, uh, that underlied it. Um, and there's nothing racial here. I, I, I loved Michael Jackson and Janis Jackson and Prince's performances, but, but this one, 
Beethoven rolled over to Tchaikovsky and threw up on him. Yeah. Um, how old are you, Dennis? I'm 40. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not my choice uh, of music, but that's the culture they came from. They were able to put it into a version of music. I remember even Stevie Wonder coming out and going, that is not music. It's not my choice. But where they've been and where they are in their 50s after coming from an extremely rough background, I think you uh, can appreciate most of them. I don't agree with any of the lyrics. That was what they grew up with. It was around them. That was the culture back then. I don't agree with that. But that's what they experienced. That's what came forward. Uh, I think it was their time. The hip-hop or or rap was time to do it. I don't want to see it every year. I've been to, in person, 22 Super Bowls. That was not the best halftime show I've seen in person or live. But for many people, they're saying it is. You had this year. I like next year. I got to think about who I want next year. In fact, I'll do that as we go to break. Brian Kilmeade here. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Joining me now is Arthur Brooks. Always love having him on. Harvard professor uh, and the Atlantic's happiness columnist and a uh, a best-selling author. Arthur's latest book you're going to love. It's from strength to strength. Finding success, happiness, and deep purpose in the second half of life. Arthur, welcome back. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, when did you start thinking big picture like this instead of getting involved in the next political campaign or the next platform, political platform? Yeah, well, life is short, right? And, and what happened was, you know, as you know, before I started teaching at Harvard, I was, a, I was running a think tank in Washington, D.C., which was a thrill. It was great, the American Enterprise Institute, the kind of place that you and I really, really like. But I started thinking to myself, what do I want to do with the last few decades of my career? And the answer is I want to dedicate it to lifting people up and bringing them together. So I teach a class at Harvard on happiness. I write about it in The Atlantic. And this new book is, is really about how each of us can make the investments in our lives so that we can get happier as we get older, to practically guarantee that we get happier as we get older. And that's what this book is. It's a guidebook on how to do it based on science. So so based on science. So, for example, if I, let's say, want to uh, teach the Civil War, I would have to sit there and read everything I could, then set up a curriculum around it. But I knew exactly where to go. There's written material. How do you research something as uh, as amorphous as happiness? That's the class that I teach at Harvard based on neuroscience and social science. And over the last 30 years, there's been an explosion in the science of the understanding of human happiness. Now, a lot of it's based on you know, the questions that were posed by Aristotle and, and in the Bible, but, but most of it is really looking at the data on the happiest people, what they do and what they don't do. And what I find are the big seven practices of the people who get happier as they get older. And a lot of it's really counterintuitive. Some people think, if I get a lot of stuff, if I make a lot of money, if I'm super successful, then I'll be satisfied when I'm older. And that's completely wrong, as it turns out. It turns out that a lot of people who, who kind of they're strivers, they work as hard as they can. When their career ends, they tend to be really disappointed, really unhappy. So I talked about the seven big investments that each person needs to make. And, and the earlier you start, the better it is. This is a book for people at 25 or 45 or, or 65, but you can remarkably change the odds of getting happier as you age. So for, can you give me an idea of the seven that people can be asking okay, themselves the, now. Well, the first big one is that everybody thinks they get one kind of success curve in their life. And, and I'm not talking about making a ton of money or getting really famous. 
I'm talking about doing well in your life, whether it's well in your job or in your community or whatever it is. And there is one big success curve where you get better and better at what you do through your 20s and your 30s. But that tends to start to decline a little bit. You kind of lose your edge in a lot of things that you do in your 40s and 50s, even while you're still in your physical prime. Well, you get a second success curve where you're better at new things in your 50s and 60s. It stays high in your 70s and 80s. And that's what I call the the teaching curve. Now, there's a lot of science on this. The first one is called fluid intelligence. You're really fast at solving problems. You can work harder than other people. The second curve is your crystallized intelligence curve. It's your wisdom curve. You're a much better teacher. You're a better mentor. You're a better team leader in the later part of your career. So redesigning your life around what you're really good at is the first habit. And I go through all of the specifics on exactly how each one of us can identify the skills and, and double down on those skills as we get older. Well, I mean, it, it is. Uh, what did you know? I know if you, you study famous people and you mentioned things like uh, Charles Darwin or Box, uh, and very successful, impactful people that people always know their names through generations. But what do you yeah. find about what is the commonality between people that are happy, whether they're truck drivers or uh, they're CEOs of major corporations? Well, the thing is, it's pretty interesting. You know, there are a lot of really successful truck drivers. You know, they support their families. They work hard, et cetera. But everybody follows the same trajectory of what you're good at early is not what you're good at later. So there are some life skills that the really happiest people that they develop as well. One of them is that they develop the root system in their life. People who are unhappy when they're older, they don't have real friends. They just have deal friends. They just have people that they've worked with, people they kind of know, people who can help them professionally. But people who are happy when they're older, they've cultivated a few really deep friendships. That's number one. The second thing that all of the happy people do, and all the data, it's really clear, is that they stop building up all the stuff and possessions and the kind of work relationships and the prestige in their life, and they start taking things away later in the second half of their life. So you think of your life as kind of an empty canvas that you're filling up with paint. But in the second half of your life, you've got to think of yourself as kind of a sculpture that you're chipping away. Your success to make it really beautiful is chipping away all the parts of you that aren't really central to you. Happy people build up in the first half of their life and take away in the second half of their life. These are the kind of things that I talk about in the book that are, we can all do. And the earlier we, earlier we start, the better off we are. Well, what did you discover about this even before you decided to be a professor and, and, and teach this level of course? As you explore this, what were some of your revelations for you personally? Well, one of them is that I was actually falling prey to something that happens to a lot of strivers, a lot of hard workers that are listening to us right now. And once again, this is not about being rich, not about being famous. It's about being a striver in your life. We tend to fall prey to, and I was falling prey to what's called the success addiction. I worked really, really hard, but really what I was doing was I was getting all my rewards from outside validation. Good job. You know, you know, working harder, getting the raise, getting the promotion, getting the, the admiration of other people. And that, what that's doing is working the part of the brain, the neurotransmitter called dopamine. And that's behind all addictions, whether it's the cigarettes or alcohol or gambling or bad stuff like pornography. This is what actually is making people addicted is dopamine. And if you get all of your validation, all of your thrills, all your little satisfactions from from people rewarding you for what you do, you become a success addict. And I was. It's not like I'm the most successful guy in the world, but for Pete's sake, I felt terrible alongside this constant stream of validation. And, and seeing this with other people and seeing where it leads to a really bad place, I had to get off that wheel. And, boy, it really helped me a lot to know this. Knowledge, Brian, 
about yourself and about your happiness. Knowledge is power. And this is a book about knowledge to give power to people as they age. Very interesting. Uh, Arthur Brooks, our guest. Uh, Arthur, a couple of things now. It's interesting. The pandemic must have done an interesting thing for your book because the most successful people that are success addicts had to get off the stage. They had to put the instrument yeah. down. Uh, you know, you couldn't yeah. go to work. No one, there was nobody to network with. There was nobody to look yeah. for. That nobody was hiring. They told you to go home. Told you to get on Zoom mm-hmm. and put on a camera. You can't really shine there. So what do you think yeah. that did, and especially on, in your Ivy League schools like yours? They told all those students to go home, right, immediately. Yeah. You told you couldn't yeah. play sports so it, and everything. So we'll, yeah, did yeah. you find that it uh, put a new wrinkle into your, uh, into your book? It really did. And what it did for – it did a, something really good and something really bad, I found. So the coronavirus epidemic, people, we look back on it, we say – I mean, I hope we're looking back on it that, – that, you know, we say that was really kind of completely unfortunate. But a lot of people got into a pretty interesting space. They got in kind of a tenderness, the, a, a contemplation. They started asking big questions about themselves. Anytime you start – questioning the nature of your life and the nature of your own desire, that's a really, really good thing. Remember, the only startup that matters, the only enterprise that really matters at the end of the day that's under your control is the enterprise of your own life. And when you're starting to pay deep attention to what you want, your desire, the way you you work with others, that's great. The bad thing is that people still are much lonelier than they think. There's a major wave of mental illness problems, of mood disorders, of depression, anxiety coming toward this country like a tidal wave. Part of the reason is because a lot of people are still afraid to go back to work. And what this does is it impedes the executive function of our brains. People are quite lonely and depressed. We have almost a a threefold increase in depressive symptoms. So the good thing is that people are looking um, internally, looking in the interior of their lives. The bad thing is that they're still really suffering a lot. And that's one of the big reasons I wrote this book. This book will provide relief. Well, very interesting. We're talking with Arthur Brooks, and his book is now out from strength to strength, finding success, happiness, and deep purpose in the second half of your life. Uh, fascinating topic I think that everyone can really uh, jump into. But he also wrote a column about regret, which is a subset of what you're talking about. So a lot of people have regrets they can't get over it, how to turn the page. You say you should not run from regret. That uh, You know, you ask people, and they did studies about how often do you think about the mistakes you made and regrets you have. What do you think the right balance is, and how could regret not be a bad thing? Yeah, no, people are getting no regrets tattooed on their bodies, and I get it. I mean, I get the basic philosophy of not wanting to be stuck in the past and feeling bad about things. But the truth is, people who have no regrets, they don't learn from their mistakes. The reason for regret is an evolutionary thing. You've got to learn. You've got to get better. So here's the point. If regret is weighing you down and you're ruminating on it and being depressed about something that happened in the past, you're doing it wrong, basically. When you regret something, which is normal, you need to write it down. You need to what we call in my business metacognitive. You need to move it to the front of your brain where you can manage it so it doesn't manage you. Write it down. What did I do wrong? What did I learn from it? How am I going to move forward? In doing that, you will really free yourself. You will no longer be chained to the regret bringing you down, but at the same time, you'll learn from it, and that's the right balance. Wow, and do you find your students are receptive? Do you, you have these elite students, even to get you know, accepted into Harvard. What is it like teaching them? Are they open to this? Are they engaged in They're this topic? Or are they like, you know, give me the physics, give me the science, show me business? <laughs> No, they're great. I teach uh, a class called Leadership and Happiness at the Harvard Business School. I have two sections of 90 students and and a lot of students on the waiting list for this class. And the reason is because they want real-life skills on how they can maintain 
themselves as they actually go through life. They realize that they're really quite good at managing businesses and you know taking risk appropriately, but nobody's ever talked to them about the, the number one, two, and three in importance on their life, you know, how to build relationships, how to have close friendships, how to, how to look forward to a, a romance in their life that can be really, really meaningful. And, and so that's what they're interested in. It's, they, have, they have an acute sense that they need to learn this, and they're digging in, and they're, they're, they're great, I have to say. My MBA students at Harvard are just wonderful. And, and one of the things that I teach them, Brian, is that all of us should be happiness teachers. This is the key point of this book, From Strength to Strength. The people are going to read the book, and I say, go teach other people. You are now the happiness professor. It's not just me. And I tell my students that as well. They get credit, final credit in the class, for setting up a class outside the class for people who didn't get in. They take my PowerPoint slides, they download them, put their name on them, and recreate the lectures. I mean, that's the point is passing on happiness. You want to be happier? Right. Love more. Be, and make other people happier. That's the beautiful secret. I guess I lied. I do have a last question. A lot of people don't want to get yeah. back in the workforce. They all of a sudden realize they don't see their self-image through their work. They, they kind of like having control of their schedule. Uh, maybe there's some things built up and money they receive that they don't have to get back in. They're finding a new balance. Whatever their answer is, they're finding a new balance. They might be listening to us right now. What do you say to people who got off the pandemic treadmill and don't want to get back on? Well, I understand there's basically two types of situations under those circumstances. The one is that they, they're a little bit afraid to go back. And, you know, a, a person at home tends to stay at home. Ask yourself, is it possible that I'm lonelier than I think? Is it possible that it's actually quite important for me to have an opposite signal strategy of saying, yeah, I think it's actually important for me to go on and get out there? Ask yourself that honestly. For other people, they're actually doing kind of a good thing, which is leaving things behind that stopped during the pandemic that they didn't like. And that's really good, too. The truth of the matter is the world is not going to go back to the way that it was. All of us are going to have more, uh, more flexibility in our workplace. Many of us can be working at a distance much more than we did in the past. That's fine, but you've got to take care of yourself. Only do it to the extent that it serves you. If you need to be more with people, you need to take that into your own hands. Because of basically the, the inertia of staying at home, you must, must actually fight that so that you can actually have the love and the contact of the people that you physically need. Got it. Uh, Arthur Brooks, thanks so much. Congratulations on this from strength to strength. Appreciate it, Arthur. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, congrats. go pick up that book now. I mean, what could, you won't have any regrets. How about that? one 408 Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for being here. A special treat for you now. I spent a day in New Orleans with Master P, better known as uh, uh, Percy Miller. Uh, and then he became Master P, the huge rapper. But now he's an entrepreneur and more and a great role model who gives back more than you can understand. If you haven't met him, uh, you should. Here's a look at my interview with Master P. Because it's pretty clear you're an excellent athlete. Yeah. And your goal is? My goal is to go to college. And? And, and make it. To the NBA. Make it to the NBA. Yeah. So you pick Houston. Yeah. And you, your goal is to start as a freshman. Yeah. But you blow out your knee. Yeah. And you end up back at home. Back in the practice. Do you remember that mindset? Uh-oh. I caught the Greyhound bus back home. And everybody, I feel like I had let everybody down. Coming back home on that bus, I felt like 
feel like it was over. But my grandfather, he more than said, son, you got to figure out something else. Like, don't just sit here and, and give up. You started hanging out with the ruined crowd. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you started dealing drugs, yeah. and reluctantly. And you came back, and you got warned by your grandmother. Yeah. And one time she hung up a black dress. My grandmother really scared me. When she, when she put that, that dress on her nightstand and said she was going to wear that to my funeral if I didn't get my act together, I just sit and cried, to be honest with you. I cried to myself. And I realized this ain't the life I wanted. And that's when I started changing my life. And, and I think it's a blessing to have people that care about you that also give you tough love. Right. And I, I needed that. I ended up leaving New Orleans and going to uh, California. It was an older white guy that owned the building that I rented. And I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And he heard of me. He need, he heard my accent. He said, where you from, son? I said, I'm from New Orleans. He said, I'm from New Orleans, too. And we smiled and laughed. He said, what you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to open up a record store. He said, you got any money? I said, I got $500. He said, uh, if you could fix this place up, I'd give it to you rent-free for a year. Wow. I said, yes, sir. I fixed the place up. We slept in the back of the place. We built it up, and the rest was history. You're married yeah. with a kid. Yeah. Uh, Romeo, yeah. and you're sleeping in the back. Sleeping in the back. Uh, of my hoping store. to get sell some CDs and records. You're not yeah. a musician. Yet. No, no, I'm just a businessman. So then you become a rapper. Yeah. You convince a recording studio to yeah. basically record you for free. Almost. Yeah. I was able to make Forbes fortune under 40. You want to get other acts? Oh yeah. And you you yeah. expand no limits. I went looking for talent. <laughs> I end up signing from Mia Eggs to Mystical. Uh, to Snoop Dogg. You said that you want to break a stereotype that maybe people have of rappers, that they only care about themselves, they want their own money, they're not, uh, they're not good family men. Yeah. You, you broke that mold, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't know what you know. No. Are you worried that they're not going to know how, like, how hard it was to get what you have? Even though my kids got a better life, and even though we have nice things, but you still got to work for what you want. And gotcha. I'm here for you, but you got to work for what you want. And if whatever you love to do or you're passionate about it, I'm going to support you with it. But you need to get up in the morning. You need to educate yourself. You need to go to church. You need to do those things that's going to make you a good person and have integrity and about right now. And where are you at right now? Where do you think this country's at right now, race relations? You know, we see what happened with uh, George Floyd riots. Yeah. Uh, we see a, a big anti-police sentiment, uh, Black Lives Matter. How do you see it, person? I see that that we are hurting as a country, but we also growing, and we growing together, stronger together. Do you think there's two Americans? I mean, do you love this country? Are you patriotic? I'm patriotic and I love this country because I don't feel there's no other place better than this. Uh, that is a little of, of uh, Master P, uh, and great dad, uh, great CEO, extremely ambitious, uh, and still is more focused on giving back right now. But you'll see part two, too, coming up shortly. So keep listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. And don't forget, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, One Nation, and Fox and Friends in the morning. And go to BrianKilmeade.com. You go to The President and Freedom Fighter or any of my books. Find out a little bit more about America's past. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show from crime-ravaged New York City. Uh, heard around the country, heard around the world. Thanks so much for being part of it. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Martha McCallum. She's going to be with us from getting set to host, host her show, The Story. Uh, and right now, we're going to be speaking to Matt Schlapp. He's chairman of uh, uh, CPAC. You know that, and he's Mr. Everything, uh, as well as uh, somebody who's always ahead of the curve. He's got a brand-new book out. Uh, and we're going to be talking about that because it's a, it's a topic you all want to know more about. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This new wrinkle, it really is just a wrinkle, and it's very vague. It does not show the actual spying that, uh, that, that Trump and others are saying it does. If what they did had been illegal, we would have had a charge. Really? Durham begins to deliver on his report a couple of years since Mueller found no conspiracy between Trump and Russia. Now we're finding out who manufactured the conspiracy. We'll tell you what we know, and unsurprisingly, the Democrats ignore or mock. Number two. We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. The insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. Pretty serious stuff, and that's coming from the dictatorial government of Justin Trudeau, and that was Crystal Freeland. Freedom caravan under siege in Canada may be taking shape in America as more and more states are set to unmask. Now let's tackle the vax mandate. Number one. Yesterday, the Russian government publicly proposed to continue the diplomacy. I agree. We should give the diplomacy every chance to succeed. We will not sacrifice basic principles, though. He had to scramble to give that speech. I wonder why. Russia, Ukraine. Today was projected to be invasion day. Putin making moves like an attack is about to happen and other moves like it won't. And now he's claiming genocide in the Ukraine. Really? Occupying the Donbass region? There's genocide? That makes no sense. Does anyone buy it? Let's bring in Matt Schlapp. Matt, uh, welcome back to the show. Brian, great to be with you again. Uh, congratulations on the book, The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. I want to get to that. But first, what about the tact? Have you seen that before of telling everyone the other country is going to invade, telling everybody this is, is going to be a false flag operation, telling everyone uh, the readout of a phone call that says, I told Zelensky to prepare for impact? What do you think that tact is? Because no other country is doing it. Yeah, look, I just think that there's great confusion uh, in the Biden administration. First of all, I think everyone's trying to figure out who's really calling the shots, knowing that Joe Biden isn't calling the shots. And I think the uh, I think that the problem for the Biden administration is that they are projecting the fact that America can do little. Uh, We can't really we can't really uh, force Putin to do anything. We don't really we're not using any economic means at our disposal. you know, they definitely believe in the international community, and you see other countries trying to step up. And, uh, and to me, the biggest problem, Brian, that I don't know how we solve is how, what do you do when President Trump like him or don't like him? The tyrants around the world felt like they didn't want to take him on, maybe because they thought he was imbalanced. I mean, President Trump would tell me that sometimes confidentially with a chuckle that, he, he, you know, the fact that they think that I'm crazy is good because they want, they're not going to mess with America. Well, what do they think about Joe Biden and his team, this Obama team, this recycled Obama team? You know, I think that they know that just like they do when President Obama was in, 
They can do what they want, and then there'll be recriminations after. And that's what it seems like the Biden administration is doing. They're preparing for the inevitable, which is Russia either invades or topples this government. Matt, do you also agree that if if they do back down and pull their guys out, their troops out, it will be a major victory for Biden? Yes, I think I think uh, Russia pulling out. Uh, I, look, anytime we don't go to war in a useless cause, it's a really good thing. And American boys and girls shouldn't be put everywhere to be the world's policemen. That being said, keep your eye on P- Putin. It's he doesn't have to invade Ukraine to win this war. He simply has to have an allied government, kind of a puppet government in the Ukraine. And so most of the people I know who come from the Trump administration believe that it's not the hot war that Putin craves. He wants to humiliate America. That's true. But it's what he gets in the Ukraine that matters. And that's what I think people are focused on. Yeah, here's what Bill Browder said. He was the uh, the businessman that Putin tried to kill, so he ended up killing his lawyer. We got the McGinsky Act out of it. He knows Putin wants revenge. This is what he said. Cut five. Vladimir Putin is a human rights violator and a kleptocrat and a very rich man. He invaded Georgia. He took Crimea. He bombed uh, civilians in hospitals in Syria. He cheated in the Olympics. From his standpoint, he's gotten away with everything. And um, unless we can actually prove to him that we're serious, he'll think he can get away with it again. I just think that's on the money, don't you? Completely on the money. And I just think... Look, I don't like saying this because I want Joe Biden to succeed when it comes to representing America overseas. But they know that we're going to do nothing. Um, We're not going to use economic sanctions. We're not going to stop their energy uh, dominance in Europe. We're we're not going to take these steps. And they also know that we will stand behind these international organizations, which in and of themselves, they're, they're, they're fine to have around. But in the end, America has to stand up for America's interests. And uh, look, I think the southern border is a real cue to every tyrant around the world, which is if we're not serious about our own border, why the hell would we be serious about anyone else's border? So the Dorm Report talks about a tech company that was hired by Michael Sussman, who's since been indicted for not telling the truth to the FBI, to, to mine data coming into the White House and to the Trump Tower to see about links to Russia and Trump. That is unbelievable to me. That was not the intention. They say that this uh, uh, that this guy uh, was somebody uh, was somebody that was not uh, was apolitical. I doubt it because we know he's was working with Sussman. They say Sussman just came in and said, "I'm concerned American about links to Trump." Never told anyone he was working for Hillary Clinton. And do you think this is big news? As it finds out, they were following Trump and through 2017 from his from July of 2016. But not to the rest of the media. Listen, cut 27. This new wrinkle, it really is just a wrinkle, and it's very vague. We're still trying to get a sense of what the facts are here. It does not show the actual spying that, uh, that, that Trump and others are saying it does. If you're going to call it Watergate, it's that the security guard at the Watergate, while being paid to do security to see just who was coming in, doesn't mean they were going through their briefcases, doesn't mean it was going through the files that they were bringing in. If what they did had been illegal, we would have had a charge. So why are they, number one, why are they so vociferous and angry if they're not ignoring it? What, what is, why aren't people more intrigued by this? Well, first of all, Brian, you don't understand this piece because you have a very successful career. People like me who have a less successful career than you actually go on places like CNN and MSNBC. And for five years, we were tortured over this idea 
that uh, Trump was spied on. And I remember I was told by people who were inside the government that this did happen. So I was one of the earliest voices saying that this happened and verifying that this happened. And, you know, the torture and, and recriminations, because I said it, were were pretty rough, including from Republicans. And so for, for my own integrity, I like knowing that what I was told was true is true. And for all these people like Joe Scarborough and others who are now on TV saying, well, if there was someone – if there were crimes here, there would have been indictments. That's a bad – that's a good short-term strategy when you're losing. It's a bad way to win the game because this was just the very first state step. The only reason why Durham did what he did is because there was a question of some of these defendants changing counsel. So that's why he had to explain to the court what he had. This is the very, very, very – this isn't even a first step. This is a first half a step as to what he has coming. And from the people I've talked to who were involved in this during the Trump years, um, you know, this is a very, very, very troubling and illegal enterprise that occurred with an outfit that had government contracts. And it seems to me that it used its uh, government contracts as a way to gain knowledge to spy on Trump and the people who work for Trump, like my wife potentially, and a lot of other people. There should be a big class action lawsuit, by the way, if their constitutional rights were violated, um, uh, in order to help their political friends, namely Hillary Clinton. And then following on from that, there is a chance, and I'm not going to say I know this to be a fact, but there is a chance, it, it looks very likely, that this spying continued well into the Trump administration. And uh, these are crimes, Brian, and even if they weren't crimes, the, the, the people who uh, perpetrated them should be so ashamed of themselves. And anybody like Jake Sullivan, who was aware that this was going on, mm -hmm. there's no way he couldn't be aware unless he was brain dead because he, he went from the Clinton uh, campaign where he said this was happening, and he then took uh, a White House job, um, and uh, which he has now. Uh, he must have been aware of these crimes, and if he was and it can be proven – the first thing you should step down today immediately. This is shameful. Gotcha. Uh, I want to talk about the desk graders defeating the cancel culture mob and reclaiming one nation under God. Remember, these statues start coming down. You saw a bigger picture as people start attacking our history. That's in your book, right, Matt? Yeah, that's exactly right. To me, you know, it was like this one idea of cancel culture canceling America, canceling George Washington. It seems a little bit random when all this started. There were things they didn't like, uh, our founders, our founding documents. And over time, when this shifted to the violence of Black Lives Matter and destroying cities, and then it turned into masking school kids and shutting down schools and shutting down churches, and then it turned into this war on gender and teaching our little boys that maybe they're little girls and pushing this, this radical idea onto them that there are 62 genders, I kind of woke up one day. Mercy and I woke up, and we're like, my God, everything that's true – Everything that's holy, everything that's sacred, everything that makes people happy, everything that encourages civilization is on full-scale attack. And everybody seems to be in a bit of a stupor over the fact of what the intent is. And the intent when it comes to America, this beacon of freedom for the whole globe, is to rip it down. And, 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 and Obama said he wanted to transform America. Those sounded like nice, calm words, almost like a euphemism. They're scary words. That means – 1619 is right. America is a bad and racist place, irredeemable, by the way, with systemic racism. And the only way you fix it is to bring it down and start over. And uh, we've got to wake up to the fact that that's exactly what they intend to do.
Well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we watched Teddy Roosevelt's statue being taken out of the Museum of Natural History, a building he founded along with his family. They took him down. He was on a horse because he was above an Indian and a black uh, and a black man. Uh, so they took it down. We know what they're trying to take Columbus down. So we we'll forget about uh, how they found in North America. And then we're going to find out that it's not just Confederate statues, any slaveholder. Then that means goodbye founding fathers except for John Adams. And you're saying it's a bigger picture. Rip America out at its foundation. Make them doubt whether we are not only not the greatest and exceptional nation, belong to be any nation at all. And you're surprised in this book, it seems, about the progress they're making. Yeah, I guess what I would say is is that I'm a, I'm a religious person, and I it, all of a sudden my politics and my religious views meshed, and I realized there's no way this could all be happening if it's just not based in evil. There is evil afoot. It's very cocky. Uh, it's going after the minds of our kids, this propaganda that's going on in schools that we all fund with our taxpayer money. Um, it's got to end, and I, and I think there are too many of us that thought, yeah, schools are liberal. Who cares? Our kids will go there, and then they'll wake up and start paying taxes and getting married, and they'll realize that socialism doesn't work. The problem is for two generations, we've allowed all the institutions with power in this country to propagandize people, and we've lost a lot of them, and it's hard to get them back. And now they're going after corporate America, and they're going after sports, which is why at CPAC we're going to focus on this so uh, so so much because you know th- those are kind of the last – Frontiers. If you can't watch the Super Bowl without getting smacked in the face with Black Lives Matter and socialism and totalitarianism, you know, we basically lost civilization at that point, and we'll have to create a new one. And I'd like to try to redeem the old one, and I think there are more of us than there are of them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have cheated so much in the election. And by the way, they wouldn't silence us on social media. The reason they silence us is because they know our voices have a huge impact. On millions of Americans, and that's why they silence us. If they were in the majority, they wouldn't care about silencing us. Yeah. So pick up, uh, pick up the desecrate the desecrators. Also, CPAC is February twenty fourth to twenty seventh, so it's coming up right in Orlando, Florida. Amongst the guests, uh, Donald Trump, your keynote, Ron DeSantis, superstar, Sean Hannity, same thing, Mike Pompeo. Uh, Matt and Mercedes Schlapp, they better have a key spot this year. They're always complaining they don't like the spots they get. Uh, so hopefully this year we won't hear those complaints. Pete Hegseth and Ennis uh, Cantor Freedom, who sadly now has free time on his schedule because he was waived by Houston. The fact is, Brian, Enos, we invited him to CPAC, and, and we announced it, and that's 72 hours later he lost his contract. So you know, just agreeing to come to CPAC basically cost him the end of his career, and this is just – this is just on American. I agree. I did talk to the Houston owner, and he said it's all about filling under the cap. It's not nothing against him. They had to cut somebody else too. But anybody who wants to improve their team down the later, I know. But two hours later, he gets cut. But I will say, well, that was the trading deadline. But I, but it's I will true, say, but but I will say this: there's plenty of places that need him. He's an offensive threat at the very least. Huge right. body with a, with ten years experience. Uh, thanks so much, Matt. Uh, congratulations on the book. Congratulations on CPAC. I hope to see you soon. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is about stopping the financing of these illegal blockades. 
We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. The insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. Send your semi-trailers home. The Canadian economy needs them to be doing legitimate work, not to be illegally making us all poorer. And there you go. Justin Trudeau makes the move. She makes the announcement. And all of a sudden, it's uh, all eyes on the truckers in Ottawa. They've cleared the bridges out by talking to the truckers and saying, listen, if you don't do that, I'll have to arrest you. So they moved out on their own. Will the same thing work in Ottawa in those zero, in those freezing, uh, in those freezing conditions? Uh, Justin Trudeau has got the ability to freeze their accounts. He's got the ability to take away their licenses, take away their insurance, and, of course, destroy their business. Martha McCallum here. Martha, can you believe we got to this point, 19 days in, and the Freedom Convoy? I can't. Um, They have views that he thinks are unacceptable. So when you say that someone's views are unacceptable, it's not a very good starting point for having a conversation, right? You can't say to someone, I think your views are unacceptable. Oh, great. Okay, so we start our discussion where? zero. Um, there are so many people who understand the plight of these truckers and who understand why they're out there. They're 90% vaccinated. They just want some relief from these restrictions and they want people to be reasonable. Uh, and, and I don't think they're asking too much here. They obviously have created a situation that's very uncomfortable for a lot of people in Canada. And I understand that the, you know, life has become a little bit more difficult for people because of this. And I don't know how long they can hold out. Some of them have already started to go back to their jobs because they don't really have a choice. But his position on this is so um, it puts him in such a such a bad spot. Yeah, he left himself he's alienating no so many people, and uh, it will come home to roost for him. Right, I am definitely not leaving for Canada. I don't care if the Vietnam War starts again anyway. You're not going to Canada. No way. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Look, I love Canadians. I love Canada. They, they're great allies. And in my judgment, I, I think the, the prime minister is totally overreacting. I mean, he's hitting a gnat with a sledgehammer. I don't think he's even met with the truckers. Nope. And I don't think he really understands that this, as one commentator put it, this by the truckers is a primal scream of frustration. It's not about the vaccines. And they have a point. Uh, it, I would ask the same question of, of, of Mr. Trudeau and President Biden. What is your roadmap to normalcy? He's 100% right. I thought it was a total overreaction. He was offended by it. I think they made up this story that he was contact traced. Then he tested positive. They whisked him out of the Capitol out of fear. And he has no interest in really trying to feel uh, hear what else is going on. Did you also notice that the provinces, about five provinces, have already let go of a lot of the restrictions? They say not in response. But even the one, Ontario, which is run by probably their harshest critic outside Justin Trudeau, Ford, he came out and said, yeah, we're going to be lifting all these restrictions. So a lot of this stuff is happening. They just got a release on the mandate. 
Can you possibly, Justin Trudeau, be a statesman? What He's is this put revealing? himself so far out on this limb that it's very difficult for him to walk back and get reasonable on this. It is a complete overreaction to what is going on. And he is, you know, basically has a tin ear to where people are moving. We're seeing the same thing in this country, right? You've got places like New Jersey, where Governor Murphy has understood that he almost lost a governorship um, and, you know, really hung on by the hair of his chinny chin chin. And so now he's lifting all of the mass mandates in schools in New he's Jersey. He's still waiting until March, right? So they're right? getting it. March 4th, I yeah. think. Yeah. A couple but more weeks. A couple of things. I, I just saw um, Alexis McAdams, our reporter, said that for the first time there's mass giving out of tickets right now. And they showed a sample ticket. They just emailed us what it looks like. Could that be a precursor to an army of tow trucks? It could I mean, be. This could be a sensational, again, uh, the sensationalistic evacuation of Ottawa. Yeah, it, and it doesn't need to be this way. We've also seen photos of text messages that have been received by the truckers that basically say your insurance has been cut off, your contract is over, um, threatening them with the loss of, of their livelihood, essentially, if they don't stop. So um, it, it's, it's a really bad situation, and it's really almost a textbook in sort of – anti-diplomacy. And as I said, you know, when you start with um, basically an insult to to their views, uh, saying that they're unacceptable, you start at a point where it's really difficult to to negotiate anything. I want to to bring you to what uh, Mayor uh, Adams said yesterday. So just to give everyone an update, uh, I bring it up to New York for a very good reason. It used to be the safest big city in the world. And now we're the most dangerous. But I think people listening to us in Philadelphia, in Chicago, in San Francisco, um, maybe in parts of Florida, as well as uh, Los Angeles, and in parts of San Diego could say, yeah, my city too. It's not the same. With us, it goes back to the no uh, cash bail. So no matter almost uh, very hard for you to spend a night or an hour in prison. So without empowering the cops— and knowing what they know now, they're not making arrests. So allowing criminals to get out because we emptied the prisons, it's down two-thirds of what it was. And by not having cash bail, uh, everyone gets out right away once they get processed and rarely do people come back. So the mayor went up to talk to fellow Democrats in Albany to change their mind, and he failed. He did not like one of the headlines in the Daily News that said that he failed and he got yelled at and berated and got humiliated. And he said it was a race thing. Here is Mayor Eric Adams, cut 45, cut 43. I'm a black man, that's the mayor. But my story has been interpreted by people that don't look like me. We got to be honest about that. How many blacks are in the editorial boards? How many blacks are determined how these stories are being written? How many Asians? How many East Indians? How many South Asians? Everybody talks about my government being diversified. What's the diversification in the newsrooms? You're not writing stories for people who were arrested and beat by police officers. You're not writing stories from those who are dealing with high crime. Diversify your newsroom so I can look out and see people that look like me. I have a lot to say about that, but I want you to. It's it's actually kind of hard to interpret. It sounds like he's coming from a number of different places, and I think that's where Eric Adams actually finds himself right now. He's trying to talk tough on crime. He's trying to uh, change the opinions of those who believe in these bail reforms, and he's trying to lower the crime rate in his city. That's his number one mission as the mayor to protect the city, and yet he's being pulled by these um, progressive voices as well that are making it very difficult for him to do his job, and so he's blaming it on editorialists in newspapers and what they're writing about what he's doing. You know, I, I think that I think he needs to—I think he has— 
he had the right instinct when he was running. I think he needs to stick to it. I think he needs to say, I only have one mission right now, and it's to lower the crime rates in, in, in the city of New York. When I get that done, then we can talk about all this other stuff. But I need to make sure people are safe in my city. That's it. He could have easily used that time to ignore the Daily News like everybody else does. You should know this, Eric Adams. You, you grew in New York. No mm-hmm. one cares about the Daily News. I don't care if the Post writes them. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Well, you got to expect some negative press. That's just it to me. Yeah, I, you know, I had to remind myself that Rudy was a Republican. Uh, Mike Bloomberg was a Republican, independent, Democrat. It didn't even matter. We were just trying to figure out what he meant uh, with his big gulps. And, but he allowed, cry, he allowed his, his police force to be policemen. But what Eric Adams should have said is, I just met with a bunch of Democrats up in Albany who have no idea how bad things are exactly. in New York City. Exactly. And use his popularity leverage, his communication ability to push the narrative right back on these state legislatures and go, hey, by the way, here's the six lawmakers that gave me the hardest time. They're from upstate New York. They're from Buffalo. And this guy from New York City, all of them are keeping you unsafe. And he should have said to President Biden, help me out here. You better do it. No, and he, have the White yeah, House speak. He needs to stiffen his sinews and, and be the person who ran and stand by it. You know, you look at uh, these candidates like Maude Marin, who's running on on she's a Democrat. She says, I don't know where my party went. She's running against Carolyn Maloney, who's been in office for 30 years. And she's very upset about covid restrictions. But she said, my other issue is crime. And I need people to. I, I need Democrats, I need leaders in this in this city and in this state to get tough on crime. I mean, he's going to lose. He's going. The, all of them need to wake up because they're going to lose. This group of you know, sort of Reagan Democrat esque um, parents, moms who are very upset about both crime and COVID are going to change. They're going to change the tide in New York. The New York Times had an editorial today, written by two experts, that basically said no. Ba- in fact, I'll read it to you. Uh, in September, Ga- Governor Kathy Hochul signed a law that weakened uh, parole standards, along with uh, almost 200 inmates held at Rikers Island, mm-hmm. mainly for private parole violations, uh, were, were released. And many future violators avoided incarceration. Writing racial imbalance was also a popular justification for New York State 2019 bail reform. The Black Public Defender Association, for example, argued that the old bail system was used to unfairly keep black and brown people locked in cages. But releasing thousands of inmates, hindering the ability to detain potentially dangerous defendants, has been followed by increasing levels of crime, especially in largely black neighborhoods. That's the correlation, the entire proof of causation. Of course not. But the correlation is is there. For example, the police precinct that covers most of Brownsville neighborhood, as well as in adjunct Ocean Hill, where three-quarters of life residents are black, shootings at the end of last year were up 144%. Murders were up 91%. So you are trying to help black people by get, letting them be victims of crimes and killed in cold blood. Well, that that's why you're also seeing movement among black well, couldn't voters. couldn't Eric Adams say this? No, he can absolutely say that. He need, I, I don't know why he can't. I mean, he's mayor. He was elected. He ran on a platform that, of lowering crime. He needs to stick to the stick to the core principle that got him elected and keep driving that message. He will not go wrong if he does that. I mean, the, the bottom line is we've talked about it so many times on my show. I show that cover of the New York Post, right? 21 children under the age of 18, 21 black and brown children were killed last year in New York City. Nobody looks at these children's faces, these pictures. No, not by cops. They were killed by gang, no, gang warfare. They were, no, I know you are. They, but I mean, th- this, is the, this is the problem. It's the safety of families and communities, regardless of their color. And the problem is that most of these children who got killed are black and brown children. So let's, let's deal with the facts. Let's deal with what's actually going on in the city. Let's make these communities, all communities, feel safe in this city.
Absolutely. Uh, quick thing to parry this, to keep it local for a second. San Francisco uh, voted out three of their school board members in San Francisco. They basically recalled them uh, successfully. London Breed, the liberal mayor of San Francisco, who gave us tangentially smash and grab, uh, and 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 the woke politics now has left woke politics is now pro crime now now is she she is anti crime and pro uh, cop and now she says she's applauds this recall effort is this the beginning or an anom- beginning of a trend or an anomaly well I think it's the beginning of any self aware politician who understands that they've gone horribly wrong and and it's not this is not a party thing this is just safety public safety is the number one commitment and responsibility of elected officials, right? And you heard Nancy Pelosi say that this weekend. Um, uh, So, you know, all of these leaders need to understand that they have messed up, that people have died as a result of this. Companies have lost their businesses as a result of this because they can't keep their stores open. Um, So there's been a lot, a lot of damage that has happened here. But the fact is that the voters in San Francisco said, you know what? Abraham Lincoln, actually one of the best presidents in U.S. history. So let's keep the school named after Abraham Lincoln. They also said kids who work really hard and study should be able to be in schools that encourage them to do even better because you know what? We're never going to be able to compete against China or any other country if we don't have the smartest, best students in the country. If we dumb everybody down and we lower our standards, that's what you're going to get. So, you know, San Francisco's waking up. And if San Francisco can wake up, Everyone else can, too. I love that. So when we come back, I find out what's on Martha's show at 3 o'clock. Also find out if she needs to know more. The answer might be no. She might say, I'm full. I always need to know more. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Yeah, Brian Kilmeade. He's got a new show on Saturdays because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Martha McCallum is going to have her show at 3 o'clock, and she she uses Wednesdays to go around and, and provide insight to a series of shows. But according to sources, I have two. She likes doing this show best. Um, I and, love doing this show. Yes, and I, I, please don't try time. to counter it. It would be very embarrassing. Um, Martha, before we get going and finding out if you do need to know more, who's on your show? So I'm going to speak with Lieutenant uh, General Ben Hodges, who is the retired Army officer who served as commanding general, United States Army Europe. And he has a really interesting take on what's going on in Ukraine and what he thinks Putin will do next. I think one of the most compelling questions right now is if he does not invade, how do we keep the pressure on him? Because he will certainly keep the pressure on Ukraine in a myriad of ways. So we're going to talk to him uh, coming up. Bill Hammer is also going to be on the show today. And Tulsi Gabbard is going to join us as well with her take on what's going on in Russia. And obviously she always has sort of an interesting, an interesting fresh look at how she would approach the situation. Don't you think that she's a veteran and as a former member of Congress. Don't you think she should be a Republican? Doesn't most of her, even though she's a non-interventionist, which is a little bit different yeah. than conservative, she seems to have more middle right views, doesn't it? 
I don't really I mean, know. You know what, I've a, never heard I, a really. I, I think there's um, there's a, a fluid line uh, that a lot of people ask themselves that question today. We were talking about these security, the COVID moms, and you know, I think a lot of people are asking themselves that question. So maybe we'll ask Tulsi that. Did question you see that today, s- Brian? Thanks. Okay, that would be good. You want to yeah. jot that down? Oh wait, I, mean, <laughs> I have music that I would play while you write. <laughs> do, do, uh, <laughs> do, 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 How about do, this question? Yeah. I don't know what study it was from, but let's just say it's a good one. And they asked Democrats, do you want your kids unmasked? 66% said yes. They asked Republicans, 20% said yes. They asked independents, 42% said yes. Do you think that a mask mandate should stay in place? Wow. Are you stunned by that? 60%. Over 60% of, of Democrats said they want the mask mandate to stay mandate. in place. So here's the problem. We have been, um, there's been a brainwash of fear across the country. And in my mind, after the number of deaths that we suffered due to COVID, which is enormous, the second most damaging impact on the country is the entrenchment of fear culture. And we can't be a culture of fear. We have to be a culture of courage and bravery and persistence. And that's what makes America great. So that's the problem. And I don't know how long it's going to take to unentrench this culture of fear. Well, I I saw a 16-year-old girl the other day walking to school. I was out for a run, and she was on her way to to high school. And she was by herself on the sidewalk walking towards school. Not only was she wearing a mask, but she was clamping it down on her nose as she was walking to make sure that it was secure and then pulling it more under her chin. And I'm thinking to myself, this poor girl. What is going on in her head? Now, I understand wearing a medical mask that actually works in certain situations. If you're a person who's vulnerable to disease, it makes perfect sense. This 16-year-old was outside. There wasn't anyone within 20 feet of her. And she's tightening the mask on her nose and pulling it under her chin. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on at home? What's going on? This is scary. Let's find out if she needs to know more. More to know. Well, President Biden says he put a dead dog at a Republican woman's doorstep while serving as a Delaware County official. And for some reason, he's proud of it and wanted to tell the story. Let's learn, kids. Cut 47. I got a call one night. A woman said to me, obviously not of the same persuasion as I was politically, called me and said, there's a dead dog on my lawn. And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, have you called the county? He said, yes, they're not here. And I said, well, I'll get him in the morning. She said, I want it removed now. I pay your salary. So I went over. I picked it up. She said, I want it out of my front yard. I put it on her doorstep. (laughs) That's a very strange story. Whose dead dog is it? This is such a bizarre story. I mean, a dead dog is a sad thing. It's not something that you joke about and make fun of and move around someone's yard. That's that is bizarre. That's a very bizarre soundbite, and I, it's more. I've learned more because right. I hadn't heard Already. it. Already, I could yeah, stop I had now. Not heard that. Woo. Next, that, that's interesting. Bob Sega's family filed a lawsuit Tuesday, attempting to block officials from releasing further information regarding the comedian's cause of death. Uh, they want to protect his privacy. I get it, but I'm stunned by this. The medical examiner releases information. They said his skull was smashed in a way that could have been hit by a bat, but they don't think he was. They think he just hit his head on a floor and smashed his skull, and he thought, no big deal, I'll go to bed? I don't know what's going on here. Obviously, this is a very strange story. That The medical examiner makes it sound like the damage was so extreme that it had to have been done some other way. On the other hand, I think of Natasha Richardson, who just fell when she was skiing and hit her head and damaged it and felt fine and died hours later. So, you know, injury to the head is a strange thing. You can feel normal and then go to sleep and die. 
Next, Halen Hutchinson's husband and son are suing Alec Baldwin and others associated with the production that killed their mom and, and wife. Cut 48. Well, there are many people culpable, but Mr. Baldwin was the person holding the weapon that, but for him shooting it, she would not have died. So clearly, he has significant portion of liability, but there are others, and that's what this case is going to be about, assessing fair apportionment to whoever's responsible for this senseless tragedy occurring. I can't blame him, just a lose-lose all around, right? Absolutely. And what is going on with this investigation? I mean, there there were bullets, real bullets in that gun. Someone knows how they got there, and someone needs to be held responsible for how they got there. And Alec Baldwin not only fired the weapon, but he was also the executive producer of the entire operation and had been criticized for having loose uh, safety regulations on the set. So 100%, this is an understandable case. But he does say he didn't pull the trigger, which is an interesting thing. Which evolved, right? That yeah. wasn't the first. Yeah, that evolved. See you at three, Martha. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.